HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, bartender, what you serve your agave spirit in is just as important as which agave spirit you serve. A beautifully crafted heritage agave spirit served in a snifter? That snifter may work great for whiskey, but for a high-proof mezcal that hasn't been aged in wood, it starts to evaporate once you pour it into that bulbous shape. And the volatile aromas, they get trapped in that bulb before blasting out like a cannonball into the face of your unsuspecting guest. I've seen more than one mezcal newbie walk away because of that full frontal assault. So, what should you use? How about a vaso veladora? These traditional little glass candle holders are what you see all over Mexico for drinking. Did you see them in churches too, Lou? That's what they're really for. Hey, I didn't know you were in this commercial, Java. I'm not. This is just the sound of my voice and your subconscious correcting you. Ah, of course. But regardless of what my subconscious Chava says, you don't need to break into Mexican churches to stock up on Vasos Veladora for your bar or for your restaurant. You can just go to mezcalforlife.com where they stock this and other barware or mezcaleria ware in bulk. For 72 bucks, mezcalforlife.com will ship you 48 of these beautiful traditional Mexican drinking vessels. And candle holders. Sure, drinking vessels or candle holders, whichever you need. Mezcalforlife.com can help you find the perfect drinking vessel for your perfect agave spirit. Head to mezcalforlife.com now and you can get your bar ready to serve the geekiest of mezcal geeks with the finest Mescaleria wear. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And I'm Ryan Acock, the Cocktail MD. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed, award-winning podcast that helps green gags bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And thank the Lord we are only using our voices for this, because Lou, what the hell happened to you? I mean, you're not usually the prettiest kid, but you look really <laughs> awful today. What happened to you? Why well, have a new morning exercise regimen, Chava? Oh, no. 
It, like I, I've seen you walking on your hands. Like it's horrible to be in the same hotel room that you are because you do all, like a lot of crazy. Well, now stuff. you're gonna love it. I don't do that anymore. Oh, no more push-ups. No more sit-ups. No more stretches. My morning exercise ritual now consists of finishing a hikara full of agave spirits. Oh, uh, like how big of a hikara are we talking? You know, it's the it's the one that Victor Ramos gave me. That's the size of my face. That's. Like a I know the and my face keeps getting bigger, so I'm gonna have to go back to to Victor to get to get a larger hiker. So that's half a bottle that you're drinking every morning of agave spirits are in the 55 ABB range. Oh yeah, but it's it's my health regimen. Okay, Ryan. I'm sure I'm Ryan. I'm, I'm sure Ryan. Cocktail MD will support this. That you, I should I need to be healthy. Yeah, yes? you, you need to help us with this. Is Luke killing himself, or is he doing anything that might benefit his health in the long term? That sounds like a, a lot of alcohol. So I remember growing up that I used to hear that a glass of wine a day was good for the heart. And, and I yeah. always wondered where this came from. <laughs> where does it come from? So, <laughs> yeah, so it it does have some... It comes from winemakers, <laughs> I'm Definitely they push that. But it, def, it certainly comes from some kind of evidence. And so a lot of this came from the 1920s. So we'll, we'll dial all the way back to the 1920s. Hundred years ago. Yep, one hundred years ago, there was a researcher over at Johns Hopkins by the name of Raymond Pearl, who decided to go around Baltimore neighborhoods and started surveying families and asking people, How old are you and how much do you drink? And for any of your deceased loved ones, how old were they when they died and how much did they drink? And so he came out <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty crazy. He interviewed wow, thousands very of scientific. people. Doing, right. So he interviewed thousands of people doing this. And he came up with a book about it. And so he talked about, in his book, he came up with these tables showing that at age 65, for example, so many people who did not drink died versus so many people continued to live based upon how much alcohol they consumed. And the tables themselves were quite boring. But if you were to plot all of this, you would see it looks kind of like a Nike swoosh or a J point. And hmm. that if you drink just a little bit of alcohol, your chance of living longer went up. And then if you started drinking more and more amounts of alcohol, you started dying at an earlier age. So this was called the J-point elevation, and it really got people thinking about maybe a little bit of alcohol is good for people. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of problems with that study, things that would never allow for it to be published in this day and age. The number one thing being that it was a simple survey asking people, how much do you drink, which right. most people <laughs> lie in my experience. And so... Well, 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 and what, well, but what, what seems like a lot to me might yeah. be different to what you and you know, different size glasses. How many glasses Correct. do you drink? Well, just one, but it's, you know, it's a six liter glass. That's, that's how, yeah. Right. And, and that's what one of the major criticisms of Pearl's work was. He only divided people into four categories of non-drinkers, light drinkers, moderate, and then heavy drinkers, which what's your definition of moderate versus heavy? Yeah. And so that was his internal definition, but he never described what he meant by so many of alco mm. ounces of alcohol per day and, and at least oh, modern and different size people yeah. different yeah oh that's fascinating so so that's the study 
that everybody points to with this thing from 1920 that that's so flawed when they say a glass a day of wine is going to help your heart. So that came later. So, But Raymond oh. Pearl was definitely the first one to kick this off. And his book was highly controversial, first because it was super flawed. But the second thing is it came out during Prohibition. And so mm. it gave, <laughs> right, so it gave people ammo of saying, well, alcohol is good for you. We, we banned this stuff because people said it was bad, but we should bring it back. And, and kind of the a side note about Raymond Pearl is he was known for being a booze hound and died pretty young himself. So that's... <laughs> oh, I love it. So take that for what it's worth. All right. So the wine, the wine myth came about during the 1950s. That was, you, you have population-based studies where we look at a large group of people, say 10,000 or 100,000 people, and we ask, what is it about this particular group that affects their health? And so we look at things like diet and exercise and smoking and so forth. So if you were to look at causes of death on death certificates, looking at France versus England in the 1950s, you'd see much lower rates of heart disease killing people in France instead of England. Mm. You're talking mm. like half as many, sometimes even a third as many. What? Yeah, really? Dying of that, heart disease. That's now, I already have one problem with that because oh. the death certificates are filled out by physicians at the time of death using limited information. So, for example, mm. in the emergency room, I fill out a lot of death uh, certificates for people who come in and have a cardiac arrest at home. So I have very limited information to go off of. And it's, it's usually asking the family and the family will say, well, he, he grabbed his chest and he said, I'm having pain. and He fell down dead. OK, it might have been a heart attack but it could have also been a blood clot in the lung. It could have also been a foreign oh. aorta. And so I'm forced to essentially make up a cause of death. And so it may just be something cultural in France during the 1950s of listing a different cause of death as opposed to heart disease. So, Wow, that is so the, fascinating. That's yes, insane. Okay, I, sorry, sorry. I, just, I'm, wow. Yeah, no, like I want to go off on a completely different tangent now, but I go, well, let's have, the, I, I want to yeah. have a conversation after the episode about this. Wow. So keep going, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's take that information. Let's say it's true that, that French people really were dying at half the rates of the British of heart disease. So yeah. then it, it always begs the question of, well, why is that? And so if you looked at the French, someone came up with the explanation of, well, the French drink more wine. So it must be because a glass of wine. That's it. That's where the whole glass of wine a day is good for the heart came from. Now, yes, people came up with different explanations later using chemical analyses and talked about things like polyphenols and crap like that. And none of that's really true. It's just that's where this came from was from saying that the French drink wine and therefore they have lower rates of heart disease and therefore everyone should drink a glass of wine a day. And, and, the, and the fact that the French export some of the most expensive, most well-regarded <laughs> wine had nothing to do with this conclusion. That did not inform the conclusion at all, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more marketing than anything else. But, but Raymond Pearl's initial assertion of a small amount of alcohol a day might be good for you did hold some weight. And so... In population study after population study, we've seen that, that a small amount of alcohol, and you're talking like 1 to 1.5 ounces a day of liquor, may decrease your chances of dying. Now, you, I think about a cocktail. I don't know of any cocktail recipe that calls for only one ounce of liquor. No. They all count for two and three ounces of liquor, and that's just one cocktail. That's, that's assuming that you've stopped at that one right. beverage, and you haven't had anything else to drink. So... Once you start going into the three and four ounce range, you're quickly on the upper end of that J point that we talked about, that Nike swoosh that's just going to keep mm -hmm. going up and up and increases your death rate. So 
yeah, there may be some truth to a small amount of alcohol a day may help, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't drink an exceedingly small amount of alcohol a day and just keep it there. Okay, so if I'm hearing you correctly, then I should stop having a hickory full of agave spirits every morning, or I shouldn't. That sounds like a good thing to stop. I don't know how you would function the rest of the day. Well, I have to. I, I feel well, smarter if I'm being <laughs> honest. Like I feel like like maybe it's not helping. Uh, you're right. Like my my uh, my physical health, but. I think it's maybe helping my brain health. Is that possible, Ryan? I know a lot of drunk people who are certainly willing to give their opinion on things and (laughs) tell me how smart they are when they're drunk. Yeah, Yeah, he just became louder, Ryan. That's a problem. He can (laughs) can, can only hear himself now. So he's really happy about it. I mean, if I I can talk about even like family history, Uh, I have a rather colorful big family. And one of the most famous uncles that I had just passed away at almost 80 years old. And I was talking with my cousin, a cousin that spent a lot of time with him. And he drank a one liter bottle of Bacardi for every day for over 30 years. And <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Oh, for 30 years? At least, at least for so 30 years. So he didn't years. start this health regimen until 50? I, like, that's the thing. We know at least for 30 years. Okay. So most okay. likely it started before, or maybe it was a little bit more before. But, do you know, like... The guy just passed away quietly in his sleep, and we're all like, oh, "That sounds nice, right?" Like that, and, yeah. and the guy was a maniac. He was a party monster. Like when he was seventy-five, he was still like dancing in the middle of wedding, all dressed in white, looking like a charro, and and the kid just had had a grand life. So, I mean, in in a way, what I what always fascinates me about this discussion, Ryan, it's how different it can be from person to person. You know, like yeah. the fact that. I mean, we know so many mezcaleros, Lou, that their consumption of, of mezcal a day, it's not that, mm-hmm. I mean, you're making a joke about your health, like your jicarita a day, yeah, but we know yeah. a bunch of mezcaleros that that's yeah. a reality in their lives. And I wouldn't be able to call them alcoholics because they are extremely functional guys. They're running. <laughs> that's mo- what you call a functional alcoholic job. Well, There's yeah, a phrase sure. for that. Well, yeah, but they're running multi-million peso, <laughs> I, I, like... God, you know, that's a really, I'm, you know, and if, if you're not prepared to answer this one, Ryan, I, I get it. But uh, is it a foregone conclusion that somebody consuming a liter of mezcal a day would have to be an alcoholic? Oh, yeah. Yes. So the definition <laughs> of alcoholism is that you need alcohol to survive. And so if you told those mescaleros, you're done, no drinking today, what would be their response? Oh, no, no, that, that will be, I mean, I, I just had a, a, a long conversation with a mescalero that, that, went dry and he can tell you that it was being one of the most if not the most difficult thing he has done in his life it's Mm. uh it is brutal it is brutal on their bodies it is brutal on their minds and their everything about them but i mean like i just like will really like i don't know if you found more information about like like you know like sometimes i think like what i think a lot of the talk that it's been out there lately, it's the cancer potential of alcohol, right? Some like I've been seeing some articles that say that it might be the case that in the future the bottles of alcohol might be branded a little bit like cigarettes, uh, hmm. warning you about esophagus cancer, tongue cancer, and other of the health effects that that it might have. What like really? What? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, so- all right, so let, let's talk about cigarettes for start with. So one of the ways that cigarettes caused cancer is by constantly damage 
damaging lung tissue and esophagus and so forth. And so every time your body needs to heal, it has to replicate DNA, create new proteins, and create new tissue. Anytime that your body starts replicating DNA, it introduces the possibility of making a mistake. And when it starts making bad enough mistakes, that's how you can get cancer. Jesus. And so that's, that's one of the problems with lung cancer. All right, so the same thing happens with alcohol every time you drink it because it does kill off tongue tissue and back esophagus tissue and down to the stomach. And so there are some epidemiological studies that say alcohol increases your rate of certain types of cancer. So absolutely. And I think we're headed in that direction and people are starting to realize that maybe alcohol isn't as good for you as we've been thinking for the last 100 years. So maybe that ounce a day is, is do I really need an ounce a day? And, and was, I, or was I even drinking one ounce a day or have I been drinking too much during this time? Jesus, but I mean, like, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm like, I, I don't read that many medical papers and I just didn't know the, pre <laughs> yeah, like that's, you know, I, I like, I read other stuff, but the fact that conceptually cancer is that, I have no idea. So it, it actually relates a little bit to pulque uh, making Lou, you know, like scratching the agave and getting pulque. To, like, oh. to create new tissue in a way you're giving cancer wow. to the agave. Anyway, sorry. That was a, a fascinating <laughs> metaphor. That, that, that's a deviation. But the fact that alcohol does create a behavior in your body that yes or yes creates cancer, that is insane. I don't think a lot of... Do you know that, Luz? No, but, you know, if I, 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 I didn't, I don't. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I, I suspect if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, Ryan, that you could say that about a lot of things. And this is not my way of saying to dismiss the idea, but you could say that about a lot of things. If you eat a Twinkie a day, you're causing some kind of damage. Would that be accurate? No. I don't, well, so the problem with a Twinkie is going to be more the sugar, and so you're going to be worried yeah. more about diabetes and obesity. But you're right, Lou, there are things that cause damage. So sun exposure would be an example. That's how we get skin cancers, that we're always in the sun, and we're always having little micro damages, particularly if you're in the sun for prolonged periods of time, and you don't wear long sleeve shirts, or you don't wear sunscreen, and all of a sudden you're having repeated sun exposure through sunburns. Now, all of a sudden, your body's got to heal from that burn, And that's one of the things that if you go to a dermatologist and start getting skin cancer screening, they're going to ask you how many times in your lifetime you have been having a sunburn? How many times in the last 10 years have you had a sunburn? Because they want to know how many times is your body being damaged and having to heal. So air pollution. Right. So that's one of the thoughts of air, uh, potentially that air pollution. Now, certainly air pollution is associated with things like asthma. So in urban environments such as Newark, New Jersey, and, and New York City, City and Los Angeles. Yeah, so Mexico City, right. So Thanks. places with lots of air pollution, you do see asthma exacerbations being higher in those areas as opposed to rural areas. So, yes, constant damage from something puts you at risk of bad things down the road. God, and that even it puts me in mind of uh, something that I heard from the folks over at, uh, I think it was Don Amado um, Mescal from Santa Catarina Minas, that, th that they moved their stills outside because they found that the mescaleros yeah. generationally were, were getting uh, cancer that they thought was a result of being in closed, uh, confined spaces with the smoke from the stills, the wood-fired yeah. stills. Yeah, and, and that's uh, but that's actually let's put a, let's put a pin on that, as you will say, because I think it would be lovely to talk about health problems in mescaleros as a whole different episode. But uh, and we're re getting really close to to the end of this episode, so 
I guess the obliged question is, is there any objective possible health benefit that alcohol could give us? And I think this is very critical to a lot of the questions that, that I hear a lot with alcohol. Is an industrial alcohol worse than uh, artisanal, huh, yeah. all-natural <laughs> alcohol? Like if I buy, if I drink ethanol made in a massive factory, uh, is it going to damage me more than the beautiful ethanol be made by hand in the form of mezcal? Okay, so you have two questions there. So the first yes. was, can ethanol be good for you? And and yes. So the most recent large study that was done on this was called the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer and Nutrition. It's also called the EPIC study. And it followed 380,000 Europeans over the span of 12 years. What? And, yep, and just like the Raymond Pearl study, it showed that a small amount of alcohol decreased death rates. But again, you're talking like a small amount, so 10 grams a day. Now, huh. once you start drinking more than that, your death rate quickly goes up. So, yes, there is objective data out there that says that alcohol can be good for you in small amounts. Now, and, and 10 grams would be like a spoonful, yes? Right. You're talking, again, you're talking about small amounts, so like half an ounce, maybe one ounce. But once you start getting two, three, four, huh. you're quickly lost that mortality benefit. Okay, and another another uh, support on drinking neat spirits, right? Because you I, say no cocktail has a half an ounce. So half an ounce of mezcal, we're cool. Yeah, and that's part of the thing behind the no ABV and even low ABV cocktails is that we're just going to have just uh, enough here so that hmm. you can get the flavor from the gin or the cocktail bitters or whatever, or maybe just a little mezcal so you can get the smokiness of it. But otherwise, it's all juice and and then I have a problem with that because now it's all fruit juice, which has its yeah. own yeah. issues yeah. with all of its high sugar content. Okay. And, okay, so then, and then the idea of the diffuser made uh, <laughs> uh, spirit versus the handmade uh, spirit and wood fired stills. Yeah, I have no idea. Now, that I, I can't possibly comment on. So. And you have to find someone else who's willing to do it. And again, a lot of this stuff is is based on either population data or clinical trial. And it may just be that no one's ever done that because there's never been an interest or more importantly, there's never been money to study that. The story of mezcal. But I mean, just as a reasonable guess, uh, and, and no, no, because I have, I, have my, I have my reasonable guess about this and we're overextending, but whatever. I think this is a very important question to answer. So the difference between your super industrially millions of liters made alcohol, uh, I'm not going to name any brand, but you can imagine that. Like you go to Walmart and you're going to take any bottle out of there and it's going to be made in the millions, right? So that versus the mezcal that was made that you only have a hundred liters made a year, it's basically both are water, ethanol, uh, some uh, traces of superior alcohols, lower alcohols, and some tiny minuscule part of congeners that are going to inform the flavor. My understanding is that at least for what your body cares, like absent taste buds, just for what, what it's going to chemically do to your body, they are not that different. Uh, as in, you're thinking that the big box mart liquor is going to be similar to the small artisanal yeah. liquor? Is that what you're saying? I, I'm sure it is, because you're getting the health effects from the ethanol more than anything else. So that microscopic one part per million of whatever tannin came from whatever aging process, it probably doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that, like that. That's that has always been my guess. Uh, Lou, do you do you have a 
uninformed guest to, to throw in there? You know, the only thing, the only, just because apparently people tell me I like to be contrarian, <laughs> the only thing that comes to my mind is, you know, when I think about the water, I, you know, I don't drink water uh, in the city of Chicago anymore because we've got so much lead and then so much bullshit in our, our water source. And I'm wondering about the potential damage uh. of water. You know, when you go to somebody like Lalo, who is using spring water, like I'm guessing that's maybe better water than if I go to somebody who's access, accessing their water from a, a more industrial uh, source. Um, maybe there's a, a difference then just in how that water interacts with your body. Maybe this is a great opportunity to, to, to start a Kickstarter Ryan, how much money do you think we're going to need to make this experiment? <laughs> so you said 12 years, 30,000 people? Yeah, so uh, that would probably run you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, to do an experiment like that. Okay, we're starting the Kickstarter today, Lou. Start, 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 start the... <laughs> I, I, let's make it a GoFundMe. It feels more like a GoFundMe than a Kickstarter. <laughs> okay, whatever. So I think that's okay. it. These are all my questions. They've all been diligently answered. Uh, thank you very much again, Ryan. And I'll head back to my uh, my push-ups and sit-ups. Thank you very much, Doc. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. Uh, hasta ya. pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.